0: My name is Ben Shill, and I'm one of the elders here at Providence Road. No, I'm not a familiar face up here. Um, this is actually my first time preaching, so um, glad you're here this morning. Um, didn't have any announcements this morning, but I did want to welcome all of our guests here um, if it's the first time here. Um, you'll notice, and I should have probably brought one up here, but... Um, underneath your chairs or a chair nearby you, you'll have a um, welcome card. And if you want to go ahead and fill that out, there's a box in the back, kind of in the connect corner, as we call it. Um, If you want to fill that out and put that um, in there, that'd be great. Um, This morning, we're going to be continuing um, in our series on Romans. And our main uh, passage is going to be Romans 12, 9 through 13. So if you want to flip with me there, there should be some Bibles nearby, and I'd um, encourage you to pick up one of those and um, open it up to Romans 12, um, verse 9. Romans twelve nine, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we um, thank you for revealing um, us, um, or you to to us through your word, Lord. Um, We thank you that you've provided instruction to us um, in how we are to live in biblical community with um, fellow Christians, Lord. I pray that this morning that you would um, guide my lips um, and the words that come from my mouth, and I also pray that um, you just open the ears and the hearts um, of those in this room, that um, we wouldn't just accept this at a mental level, but that it would truly change um, how we live our lives and how we um, um, approach our fellow Christians, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we get started, and I know it kind of um, seems like we probably do this every time, but I want to provide a little bit of a context. Um, I think it's important to do that um, just with any passage that you read. And I think it's particularly important um, in this case because we really see a huge shift here from um, Romans chapters 1 through 11 to Romans 12. Um, We've been in Romans 12 for a couple of weeks now, but Um, Again, I just want to provide some context, and I think it's, again, particularly important with the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you want to go back um, just a couple of verses to uh, chapter 12, verse 1, we'll read that, and I think it'll be up here on the screen. So it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So uh, Chris Um, spoke on this um, a couple of weeks ago, and he pointed out a couple of things I'd want to point out once again. Um, So we have this uh, couple of uh, words or phrases in here that I think kind of point us back to uh, chapters one through 11 and why I think um, it kind of provide um, some better context to us. So one is we see this therefore. Anytime you're reading scripture, um, really time, anytime you're reading in general, if you see that term therefore, you know, you should be looking for something that came previous to that. could be previous sentence, previous idea, previous paragraph, etc. In this case, I think it's really pointing back to all of the ideas that Paul has presented up um, through chapters 1 through 11. And I, you know, point this out too, because if you kind of look through here, it says, I appeal to you Um, by the mercies of God. So I think what Paul has essentially done here is in chapters 1 through 11 is he's presented us, you know, his theology on the mercies of God. So he's stepped us through that very kind of systematically through chapters 1 through 11. Um, And then it seems like he's making this kind of, um, you know, big switch in chapter 12. And I think it's appropriate to, you know, Uh, recognize that. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad um, thing to, you know, kind of put these mental structures in our head and be able to kind of interpret scripture in that way. Um, But at the same time, I think it's important to look at it in total, because when Paul was writing this, he didn't, you know, write chapter one, chapter two, and then he didn't go to chapter 11 and then say, okay, now I'm going to completely change gears here. This is a completely new chapter. Um, we really use those just as kind of like a convenient sake for ourselves to um, basically kind of reference back to Scripture. Um, And um, if we want to go back also to, I think if you, and I don't think I have this one on the screen, but even if we look back to the end of chapter 11, I think it provides us um, what he's doing here, kind of how he makes this transition. Um, So verse 33 of chapter 11 he says, Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you definitely see that transition, but, you know, again, we're going to be talking about Um, some verses that are just like a paragraph away. And you kind of see at the end of chapter 11, Paul kind of breaks out into this um, just kind of worship based on everything that he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 11. And so I think we need to kind of approach this in chapter 12, and we can't forget um, the worship and and how we are to approach this, because otherwise I think it's easy where we could just kind of turn these things into a list of do's and don'ts. Um, especially as we look at um, verses 9 through 13 here. So let's not forget that. Let's not forget the basis that we're moving into this next section. Um, but we'll go ahead and, with that um, in place, move into the main portion of our uh, passage this morning. So Romans twelve 9. We'll start there. Uh, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good what I really want to do here, um, you, know, if you, you know, when we first read this, you kind of saw that it seemed like it was a bunch of really choppy statements. So it was, again, something that you could really easily just make a checklist and say, you know, okay, um, we're supposed to make love genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you could really easily turn it into the list. Um, but I don't think that's what Paul is wanting us to do here. Um, what I think he really wants us to focus on, um, and we see this oftentimes in Scripture, is if you kind of have a list or something that's kind of uh, arranged in this order where it's um, you know, these uh, thoughts that come one right after and the other, the very first one that you see generally is um, of kind of most importance or it's something that the author did that on purpose for. He didn't just randomly put let love be genuine at the very beginning of it. And I think what um, he's really wanting us to do here is use that, um, that idea of genuine love as being um, you know, kind of like the interpretive key or kind of the lens with which we read the remaining chapters um, of Romans here. So it's kind of the big thing, theme that kind of hangs over us here. Um, I, th- I think that's for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, if you look at this and you look at uh, what follows, you know, Paul isn't trying to define uh, genuine love. He doesn't say love is this. Um, you know, we, we see some ideas that are very closely related, um, but again, it's not just a list of things that is love. He's not trying to define that. He just wants that to be the overarching um, idea that we have in our heads as we kind of move forward. So, um, you know, I was trying to think, exactly how this might work. You know, it's like we, we basically have this idea of genuine love that he's trying to kind of drill into us, and he, this is what he wants to be, the primary mark of our Christian uh, walk. Um, and so I was thinking about some, you know, different ways of how I can do this myself as I was reading through the scripture and meditating on it, um, and I was thinking, um, you know, about I guess it was nearly a year ago, and um, we added a third child to our family about 18 months ago, I guess, um, to start things off. And for those of you that have gone from two to three children, um, you know, there's, every time you do that, things change. Um, One of the things that I think we noticed quickly is that, um, a forerunner, while it seems like it was a pretty good-sized car, um, was not nearly as big as it used to, uh, used to be. So, you know, especially you got three kids in that back seat, one with a, um, you know, in a car seat still. And I had kind of managed to figure out a way to kind of where the boys could still get in the car and still plug in their seat belts. Had these like seat belt extenders and things like that. Um, so we we did you know did that for about nine months or so after uh, Anna came into our family and then you know over time you start to realize you know the poking and the prodding especially with two boys like that you know just constantly at each other start to really realize how much you'd appreciate a little bit more space um, so Abby and I started talking about um, some different options for larger vehicles so you know we talked over a few different things trying to get something with a third row or getting, um, you know, like a Suburban or something like that. And, you know, I I couldn't keep Abby away from it, but she really wanted a minivan. So, um, and she's nodding her head over there because I think I was actually a little bit more excited, but it's kind of easier because I don't drive it all the time, but I kind of saw the utility of it and so um, excited me a little bit more than it did her. But, you know, we eventually kind of decided, okay, you know, I think, probably a minivan's gonna be the best option for our family, gives us a little bit more room. Um, And so, you know, started kind of looking at different, you know, models as you normally do. Um, But kind of in between that time, like after we decided that we were gonna buy a minivan, it was like everywhere we drove around town, it's like you start seeing minivans everywhere, you know? So it's like, normally, I mean, minivans aren't exactly something that's that exciting. It's not like it's like a Ferrari that really sticks out. But all of a sudden, you know, it's like I'm thinking about minivans, so all of a sudden it seems like I'm seeing them everywhere and they just really stick out to me. Um, and I think that's really kind of what Paul is trying to do here. Um, it, it's, it's like this ge- idea of genuine love is the theme that he wants us to see as we go throughout and talk about um, living a Christian life. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's one way we can view it. Um, you know, similar thing, like if you're traveling around the country and you are out of town and you see somebody with an OU shirt, you know, it immediately kind of attracts you because you kind of see it. If you're in Norman, you don't really see it. So I think that's how we want to approach this, this scripture is really just with this idea of genuine love and what that looks like um, displayed in a Christian's life. Um, I think there's another reason that we can do this. Um, and I think Paul kind of provides a little bit of a clue to us. If you want to flip about a page forward into chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says, O none, no one, anything, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law so you know in between this section that we just started with and, and this um this uh, statement on love paul has kind of laid out some different principles but i think he basically wants to come back to us and say you know, yes, yes, I've said all these things, those are true, and those are things that you should do, but the overarching principle or the guide, what I want you to use as your guide is this idea of genuine love. So um, another passage here, you know, Paul didn't come up with this himself. Um, If we want to go to Matthew 22, um, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were questioning Jesus, and Sadducees asked him, you know, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So I think here we can also see that you know, Paul, and we should view this as, you know, uh, genuine love as really the fulfillment of the law or the fulfillment of these things. So, um, you know, we're not we're not doing these out of, um, you know, we don't separate these from the principles of the gospel. So we don't have the gospel, and now we're called to these separate works. These works are um, fulfilled as part of the gospel. So it's kind of this continuation. It's just a natural consequence. Of our belief in the gospel and um, what it does in our lives. So now that we've kind of looked at genuine love, um, I think it's worth talking just a little bit about what we mean by love. Um, You know, I think it's something kind of easy to pass by, but, um, you know, we can view love as being um, an action. So it's something that you might do. And so you could say somebody was loving and how they acted. Um, a lot of times for our culture we really view this as an affection. So it's just, um, you know, it's it's my love for my wife, it's a love for, um, you know, my parents or my children. So it's just a completely an affection thing. Um, I don't know that here he's necessarily trying to make those um, distinct, distinguishments here, or just dis- I don't think that's a word, but he's not trying to distinguish those here. Um, but I do think it's helpful to kind of consider what it is that he's talking about love. And particularly too, I think, you know, he says, um, let love be genuine. So if love, you know, if he's saying let love be genuine, then that must mean that there is some sort of love that is not genuine. So there is some sort of disingenuous love. Um, so maybe it's a self-seeking love, etc. Um, so I want to kind of consider what it is that's called distinct or genuine love. Um, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that I kind of contemplated as I was preparing this sermon, um, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, what's love and what's genuine love and what can be different here, um, you know, as I started thinking about other people, you know, non-Christians, um, that display love. I mean, I, I think... You know, at some level, we know people, and a lot of them maybe even, you know, people that we consider better, pe- better people than them ourselves that seem to be doing things that are loving to others. Um, and so it got me thinking, well, what, what is it that distinguishes genuine love or Christian love from these others? And I think there's a couple of, um, I guess, characteristics that I would say are um, defining things that distinguish genuine love for, from regular gut love. And I'd say the first. So we have uh, two that I want to point out. One is that genuine love is God-centered. So um, you know the ultimate source of love is God. So it's it's not coming from ourselves. Um, This is something that you know uh, non-Christians they they can't do this because they you know if they don't believe in God that that love isn't coming from God. So I think, um, you know, we can say that love is God-centered. Um, you know, a couple of ways I think we can get this idea um, or where this idea comes from, um, so we're not just pulling this out of nowhere. Um, in, in Romans uh, 9, the term love or the word love that Paul uses here is agape. Um, and I'm not a Greek scholar or anything like that, so I'm kind of relying on, Um, Some commentators and such here. Um, But this word agape, um, you know, up until this point in Romans, um, agape is really just used in reference to God's love for, um, you know, God's love in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It's always God centered. So it really is something that whenever he's talking about love, this agape term is in reference to God. And beyond that, um, from what I understand, agape is kind of almost a uniquely Christian term. So even if you look at other ancient Greek um, uh, letters and and books and such, agape isn't really something that's frequently used. So it was almost like Christians had to come up with a new word um, because the the typical word for love really didn't encapsulate what it was that they were doing. Um, Another verse that I think speaks to this is 1 John 4, um, 7 through 9. So if you want to flip there, um, you can read this passage with me as well. So 1 John 4, 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So I think, again, um, John is, is telling us that, you know, God is, um, is love. He is the source of love. That's what empowers us to love others. Um, it's only through him. And so this is one of those um, defining characteristics that really distinguish Christian love um, from, from other forms of it. Um, another verse I think that we can look at, um, you can flip with me here if you want, uh, but Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, so in the, the greatest commandment, um, says, I'll flip here and read it instead of trying to do it from memory here. Um, but, you know, he basically says, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Um, so I think, again, he's pointing back um, to this idea that um, you know, our, our, our love and genuine love focuses on, um, on God um, and not necessarily um, through man. The second, second distinguishing characteristic, so the first, I think, is God-centeredness of love um, or genuine love. And then the other one is, I think, and it's closely tied, is that the Holy Spirit um, is what empowers us to love. So, um, you know, God loved us um, and in that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Um, you know, if we believe in that, you know, the Holy Spirit indwells within us and it empowers us to love others. So this is really where we get that power to to love others. Um, Again, and another one, and you don't have to flip here, but um, Galatians 5.22, so the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first fruit of the Spirit that he lists? Um, Again, you know, first one, Tends to stand out and should stand out to us. So, um, you know, he said, "the fruit of this, um, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control." Um, so, I think this is why non-Christians um, are not able to, you know, love in a genuine way. The way that um, Paul is talking about here in Romans is that if if they're not Christians, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not empowered to. Um, love the same way that um, that a Christian would, so you know we spent a lot of time here on love, and again, you know I think that's that's really what we want to um, use as kind of this overall banner, um, but then following this, uh, Paul quickly kind of moves on um, to some other um, you know, exhortations or things that he's telling us to do. And I don't wanna um, skip over those things um, because I think they're very practical. Um, you can, you know, uh, read these and really apply them to your lives. And I think he wants us to do that. Um, but I do think he still wants us to have this kind of background or this idea or this um, idea of genuine love sitting in the back of our minds as we um, read over the rest of, of this, uh, this section. So uh, we'll go back to 12.9 and kind of hit that second half of it. So it says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Um, I think this kind of hopefully, you know, hits you pretty strong here. So he basically goes from let love be genuine to abhor what is evil. Um, you know, and I think probably abhor is a pretty good um, Term here. Um, I don't think a lot of us use that commonly in our uh, languages nowadays, but I think it kind of gets at this um, idea of kind of extreme hate. So, you know, immediately he goes from let love be genuine to abhor. So he's going from love to hate really quick. And I think it kind of goes against our um, culture nowadays, and even for some of us, you know, we have this idea of love as being kind of all accepting. And so um, there is no, you can't have love and hate at all, and they're just completely incompatible um, at any level, and so we kind of have this, you know, um, I don't know if a good term, but kind of like this hippie ethic of, you know, God is love, and, you know, just just love people, and that's, that's all we need to do. Um, but Paul here really ties these two together. I mean, you know, this first sentence, or this first um, Statement here is is definitely tied together, and so he sees genuine love as abhorring what is evil or hating what is evil. Um, and then he also on the on the flip side of that says, hold fast to what is good. Um, this term, hold fast, is really um, the same term that he would use for like uh, christ or marriage. So like a husband and a wife. So it's really saying you know hold fast, stick to that. Um, and I think this works in a couple of different ways. Um, so, you know, one, I think it, it's almost kind of like this circular pattern. Um, you know, by abhorring what is evil, evil it, it increases um, our ability to love others. Um, and the same with holding fast to what is good. So, you know, we, I think we oftentimes want our affections to be Driven towards something, um, but sometimes we kind of have to like push ourselves forward um, by clinging to what is good and hating what is evil, and that stokes the affections and kind of you know works in this kind of sick um, circular pattern secular circular um, so um, so you know a good example of this um, you know I think is just um, you know for me is in my fight clubs, so um, our fight club meets on a Thursday morning, and you know during that time, you know get together with fellow Christians. We encourage one another in the Word. We pray for one another. Um, you know we talk and um, again kind of encourage one another to overcome sin and um, to cling to what is good. So that's that's essentially what we're wanting to do in fight clubs. And that entire Thursday after that you know, it, it, it makes it much easier to love my wife, to love my children, and it makes it much harder for me to um, approach somebody in hate or, um, you know, just ambivalence, you know, it's like, it just starts off that day in a good way. And I think you can probably all, you know, relate to this at some point. And so I think this is kind of um, what he's wanting us to do here is he's saying, you know, if we hold fast to what is good and we hate what is evil, It'll stoke our affections, um, and we'll be able to love more. Um, so I think that's that's a good way for me. You know, you may have um, different means of doing that. Hopefully, you are in a fight club. Um, but again, you know, I used to, you know, on my commutes, I'd listen to like worship music. Um, you know, try to start my day in the Word and prayer. Um, those just kind of set my mind on things, um, where again, it just makes it harder to fall into sin. Um, and then it it just encourages me um, in love. So kind of moving on now, Romans 12.10. Again, we kind of have these these quick statements here um, that Paul's making, Um, and it's Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So here, um, you know, we talked about agape love, and here I think... Um, Paul's really pointing us to what we might call a familial love. Um, and again, this, this section, um, you know, from 9 to 13, is really internally focused as the body of Christ. So he's telling us how we should live among, uh, amongst other Christians. And, you know, he's really saying that we should consider each other as family, um, you know, if you've been here at Providence Road for a while, you know we kind of have um, what we call as kind of like discipleship identities or identities that we um, get as a result of the gospel. And one of those is a family identity. And we don't pull that out of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an easy thing that you could kind of adopt. I mean, I'm sure there's sports teams, there's companies and things like that that want to kind of, you know, build this kind of like family identity. Um, uh, I guess, environment around um, that, that group or whatnot. Um, but here, I think, you know, we can really consider this um, at even a deeper level. Um, you know, I think it's something that we kind of gloss over pretty quickly sometimes. Um, but, you know, through our union with Christ, um, we are united together. And that, that's something that doesn't just end, you know, even at death. It's something that we're united um, into the future, we're being made into the body of Christ, and um, in, in that we should really consider ourselves brothers and sisters. And um, you know, this kind of should change, I guess, the way that we live amongst each other as we um, you know, look, on, look on others and, and really consider what that love is to look like. So he, you know, he says, let us uh, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So um, this idea of outdoing one another in honor, and I don't think um, you know honor. At first, I was kind of trying to think of exactly you know how to translate that into um, terms nowadays. But I think it's basically getting at this point of think the best of one another. Um, You know, we don't want to you know assume the worst. You know, whenever we see somebody's actions, we always assume that they have um, the best in mind. We look look to ways that we can encourage one another. We're not trying to put each other down. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to outdo one another and showing honor to one another. Um, you know, I think a good, I had this visual that popped in my head as I was considering this. Um, I don't know if any of you've kind of, you know, gone out with somebody to a meal, um, you know, the check comes at the end, and somebody's trying to pay for it, and you kind of get this back and forth, where it's kind of this awkward thing, like, oh, I'll get the bill, I'll get the bill, and everyone's kind of going back and forth, and then finally somebody takes the bill, you know, that's kind of how I viewed this, it's almost like, man, you're such a great guy, no, no, you're, you know, you know, really encouraging one another, look, uh, you know, seeing one another in the best light, and not assuming um, the worst, and I think, you know, it's definitely something that I can fall into, I'm kind of... Um, You know, we'll sit there and try to kind of judge people's actions based on what I think their maybe intentions or motivations are. Um, You know, and that wouldn't be bad as long as I'm assuming that their intentions are just completely good. Um, And I think that's something hard for us nowadays. I mean, if you look at kind of the political environment of this last year. Um, you know, it's like nobody can really see. It's like everybody thinks that the other person is trying to, like, destroy this country. Um, and, you know, in reality, I'm sure they all think that, you know, they at least have good intentions in mind, whether you disagree with them or not. Um, so I think that's what, what Paul's getting at here and uh, telling us to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, so moving on to cha- uh, verse 11. So... Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So it kind of has this, um, you know, th- this again, three, three quick um, um, statements here in a row. So we'll kind of take those a little bit separately. But he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Um, you know, I think, you know, if we consider this idea of genuine love and, you know, some of that love pri- primarily from us being focused to God, which then you know motivates us to love others. Um, you know, if if we're truly loving God, um, you know, I, I think we we need some zeal. And I, you know, oftentimes I think we kind of fall into this trap um, where, you know, it's it's like we see a new Christian and they seem really like zealous. they're, they're reading their Bible all the time. They're sharing the word with others, and it's almost like we. You know, it's like we're kind of excited, but at the same time, we're kind of looking at them and kind of chuckling like, well, wait, you know, five years and then you won't be nearly as zealous as you are now. Um, Same thing with marriage. You know, it's like you have the newlyweds and there's kind of that, you know, um, honeymoon phase and, you know, everyone kind of takes it for granted that over time that, you know, that passion or romance will die off. And I think Paul's saying, no, you know, don't let that happen. Be be fervent, um, be or uh, do not be slothful in zeal. And then he goes on, be fervent in spirit. Um, you know, you know. One one end, I think he's saying, you know, um, you know, be zealous, you know, be um, crazy, and you know, do those things. But then he also kind of brings it back and says, but be fervent in spirit. And so I think he's tying it back to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you know, this isn't just this unchecked, um, you know, strictly. Um, feelings-based um, uh, zeal. It's, it's supposed to be Holy Spirit um, produced, it's through the Spirit, not just um, a, a strictly emotional thing that we're trying to produce within ourselves. And then again, also too, he just says, serve the Lord. So, um, you know, at that same time, you know, I think we, you know, at first when we see this as being, you know, do not be slothful and zeal, we start to go to those things of, well, how are, how are we zealous? And we go to, okay, well, we're going to have to go, you know, become missionaries to an unreached people group, and we're going to have to go, um, you know, you know, um, preach every Sunday. We're going to have to lead worship. We really need to be out there. But I think God is just bringing it back and and saying, you know, serve the Lord. And so I think there's different ways that we serve, um, you know, and, and all of those things can be showing your zealousness for God and being joyful in that service. So, um, you know, one good example of this is our kids, and we didn't have announcements this morning, but, you know, fall is about to kick off and you know, we always need people to serve in kids. And I think you can be zealous in serving the Lord in volunteering in kids or greeting and being hospitable when people come in the door or at MC if you're the person behind the scenes cleaning up. Um, those things are ways that we serve the Lord, and, and it's not um, focused on ourselves or focused on um, trying to put the spotlight on us. It's just serving even just in kind of the mundane things of life. In Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Um, Paul kind of follows the same pattern. It's kind of a, a familiar pattern that um, he goes from, and we see it in Romans 5 of just this you know, idea of hope, um, you know, rejoicing in tribulation and then and then prayer. So he kind of follows the same thing. And you know, this is definitely kind of more. Future-oriented, so he sees us, you know, you know, uh, us looking out to the future in the day when Christ is going to return and seeing some joy in that. So, you know, all these things that he's telling us to do, they're not this begrudging thing that we go along with because we feel like we're duty-bound to do it. Um, You know, we're rejoicing in the hope of the day that we're going to be um, transformed, that we're going to see Christ face to face. Um, and so that at the same time gives us the patience to endure uh, tribulation. So, um, you know, he's not promising here that, you know, you become a tr- uh, Christian and tribulation is going to fall away from your life. You're never going to have any struggles. Um, but he's saying just rejoice in the hope of the things that are to come. Um, you know, that should give us a lot of joy, um, you know, and in, in, uh, give us joy in this life, knowing that. This day isn't the best day that it's going to be. There's going to be <clears throat> future future time when things are things are better, and then he also says be constant in prayer. Um, so it, how this or how I view this as kind of linking back together is that prayer, you know, the degree to which that we pray in times of tribulation is um, the the degree that we're able to withstand that. So I think he's pointing us back, you know. Be in uh, communication with the Father. You know, be praying, and that'll help you get through those times of tribulation and times of struggle. So be, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Um, moving on now to Romans 12, 13. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um. So again, you know, I think this is kind of a means where, you know, he's kind of wrapping up some of this things that he's called us to before. So he's called us to love, he's called us to love one another, to esteem one another highly. And then he kind of comes back to this and I, I think he's really getting at the idea of us um supporting each other materially um through um material means, you know, food, uh, money, et cetera. Um, you know, I think it's off it's easy to um, you know, consider some of your brother, you know, be all about encouraging them, but then we find out that they are they are in hard times and the money seems to, you know, kind of dry up or that seems to be where our affections end. And, um, you know, I think one verse that kind of came to me or or one thing that I think um, is uh, speaks to this is Matthew six twenty one, 21, um, where he's talking about um, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. So, you know, if if we're truly loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, you know, giving money, helping each other materially um, will not be something that'll be hard for us to do. You know, we'll, we'll easily be able to open up our pocketbooks and support one another. Um, so, you know, I, I pray that, you know, within Providence Road, you know, people would be willing to, um, you know, let people know when it is that they're hurting in those manner uh, in that way and be quick to help each other you know not just with an encouraging word but also supporting um, one another and kind of material giving um and then i think this also too speaks to um um you know contributing to um, you know missions um we have a lot of college students and things like that that come through here and then you know, on the back end they're going off and you know, doing something in missions. Um, so I think that's another way that we can contribute to um, the needs of the saints and support their work. Um, you know, we have you know, three, four, five college students that I can think of off the top of my head that are going into some sort of um, service you know, after college or kind of in between stages. And that's, again, one way that we can support one another by giving financially to them, helping them be able to um, push forward in their ministry. So, you know, again, if we look at this, um, you know, I think it's so easy to kind of look at each of these statements, each of these things that um, Paul is calling us to, and just quickly make it into a list. Um, But if we can look back and see that um, you know, genuine love is really the mark with which um, we want to be able to live our Christian lives. Um, we're not, we're not um, just trying to check off these things, or um, you know that um, that Jesus tell or that Paul is telling us to do, but we want to really seek to live a life that exhibits genuine love. So I think there's a couple of responses here, and you know, normally it seems like um, you know these responses are kind of uh, more of these direct applications. Here, I think it's it's almost like the the applications are just plainly in front of us. You know, he's telling us to love um, what is good and abhor what is evil. I don't think we really need um, a lot of explanation in those things. Um, You know, I think it's it's the difficulty comes when we're trying to love in a genuine way and how to do that. You know, all of these things are good, but again, you know, we want to live a life that's marked by genuine love. So. Um, I think a couple of ways that we can respond to this or, or encourage ourselves in that is seek a deeper understanding of God's love for us. So again, if, if um, um, genuine love is God-centered, then only through knowing and trying to under, better understand God's love for us can we love others at a greater extent. So you know, again, this is spending time in, in word to get to know um, God better. Um, spending time in prayer, um, you know, that stokes love um, for God. Um, it's worshiping, it's being around, um, you know, fellow Christians. Um, this is a way, those, those are ways that we can um, seek to understand God's love for us better. You know, we're never going to come to that, um, you know, we're never going to come to the end and completely understand it. Um, never, not even after Christ's return. I think that's something that. We'll just continually have to um, explore the depths of God's love for us. Um, so that's one. Um, then I'd say pursue holiness. So I think this kind of gets to the idea of um, abhorring what is evil and looking to what is good and clinging to what is good. Um, you know, you know, we we struggle sometimes. I think you know to to do this because we think of it as being kind of this legalistic thing where we're coming at it and we're trying to just, you know, not do um, bad things and do good things. And that's, that's going to be what saves us. And I don't think that's, or that isn't how this works here. But at the same time, I think again, you know, clinging to what is good um, is really what's going to stoke us to genuine love, um, you know, and abhorring what is evil. So, you know, you know, I think we, we easily will sit there and look at things and it's almost like we're, um, you know, it's like we're looking at a TV shows or movies and things like that. And instead of considering what's going to stoke our genuine love for others, it's almost like we're looking at it and saying, well, is this, you know, does this meet, you know, those lines of uh, what's considered pornography or not? Um, you know, we, we have the Holy Spirit within us I think he gives us a great sense of um, what is good, is good and evil. Um, so I think we need to rely on that. Um, you know, I think you know Paul is is calling to um, us to that. So use that, um, you know, the the voice of the Holy Spirit within you to know what it is that you're to cling to, what it is that you're to flee from, etc. Um, and then lastly, and I think you could always do this, but uh, just being constant in prayer. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to um, look at these things and sometimes think that we can do them under our own power. Um, but if the Holy Spirit does empower us, um, you know, to, to genuine love, um, then, you know, it's only through um, prayer asking Him to, um, you know, to empower us to do that, that uh, we can succeed in that. So, you know, you know, again, I think, you know, as we kind of continue on and look back and um, as we live our lives, um, you know, we go throughout the week, you know, we don't necessarily need to sit here and um, try to think of um, these, these lists of things that, you know, we are to do and, and we're not to do. Um, I think what we want to do is um, think of the Christian life as a, um, as seeking after genuine love and how we can express that to love, um, you know, God and to love others. Um, let's pray and then we'll uh, move into communion here. Father, I, um, um, I just thank you that um, you have given us your word, that you've provided us um, just clear instructions on how it is that we are to leave this, um, lead this Christian life. Um, I pray that you um, have given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. That um, through the Holy Spirit that we would know um, um, how we can um, cling to what is good and to run from what is evil, and how to really love um, our fellow Christians, Lord. Um, I just pray that as we go throughout this week that. Um, that we would remember that, that we would um, seek to um, see each other as as truly family and and love one another in that. In Jesus' name, we pray. So, moving into a time of communion, um, you know, I love that we do this every week here at Providence Road. Um, you know, I think it really speaks to uh, just this union that we have um, in Jesus Christ. And so, I think even particularly this week, as we kind of consider. How it is that we are to live um, together and live in unity as the body of Christ. Um, You know, I think we can um, kind of reflect on that. So um, during this time, I ask you to just kind of sit back and and think of that and think of, um, you know, the love that we have um, and and we share as as, um, believers in Christ. Um, So when, you know, the night before um, Jesus. Uh, was crucified he was with his disciples and um, um, breaking bread and he he broke the bread and he said um, you know remember this um, it's my body broken for you then he took the cup of wine and he said this is my blood broken for you it's uh, representing the new covenant that i have um, in you so again i want you To take some time, um, consider what it is to be be a Christian. Um, If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, we we practice open communion, so that means if you're a fellow believer, you know we welcome you to come forward. Um, But if if you're not a believer, I would ask you to just kind of sit back and observe and kind of think about um, you know think about this concept of love and um, you know God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And then, you know, just if you have any questions, you know, feel free to talk to me. Feel free to talk with somebody that you came here or someone around you, um, and they can tell you more um, about the love in Jesus Christ. So whenever you're ready, um, take a few minutes and then come forward. There'll be two stations um, up here and then one in the back. Um, uh, uh, Somebody will hold the cup and you can kind of tear it off and they'll dip it in and. And that's how it's done.